I walked away from a lifestyle that would have had me either dead or in prison before I was 21. Um, and I gave my life to Jesus Christ, and I'm so grateful. And I've today I just really have a great love for God. Sometimes when I'm here worshiping, I want to just run to a place that could get me closer to God. And I realize there is no place where I'm standing, whether in the back or in the front, in the middle or on the sides or wherever, because of God's spirit that lives inside of us. God is ever present and immediately present in our lives. And so God sometimes can just absolutely be overwhelming. But uh, you've got to be grateful for the worship teams and the sound uh, teams that you have here at the church that make worship so easy. Um, and uh, you've got to be grateful for the God who makes it easy um, as well. I want to thank all of you. You filled up the bin again already this week uh, for Operation Blessing. I will tell you that we went through some of the stuff, and we're going to be doing some sorting on Monday night. And thank you to those volunteers that have already registered on the First Serve kiosk that's right out there, that computer that's on the high table, uh, to help out on Monday night to help us sort and categorize all these things and get them all cleaned up and ready to go. For August, when we give them away and we try to bless Zealand um, and families in Zealand that could benefit from clothing, from winter clothing, uh, from learning toys, and from school supplies to get them ready for school, you can still sign up today for that. Thank you to, uh, in advance to those who signed up for Zealmania. That's a great opportunity for us to get out there. Plus, it's just going to be a really cool thing because we're going to be doing music and movement and stuff at our station for Zealmania. Uh, so um, I think we're really going to attract uh, crowds of kids that enjoy that and introduce them possibly to big life that we're going to be doing in the fall. So, hey, go out there, First Serve Kiosk. Always go to the website um, that we have, uh, fbczealand.org. We always have there the First Serve uh, link as well that you can go right to and you can sign up because we want to make ministers out of every single person in this church. And going into the fall, let me remind you, going into the fall, every second Sunday, we'll be gathering in our gymnasium and we will be doing multiple mission projects together as one whole body. Five-year-olds, four-year-olds can participate in being missional to other people, whether we're writing letters to missionaries and their kids, whether we're sending care packages to college students, whether we're helping out his harvest stand and bringing in food and non-perishable items for that, whether we're welcoming Barnabas Ministries or Zero Gravity or whoever it is that we also invite in to enjoy there, we're going to make ministers out of this congregation of uh, Christ followers. Hey, let's, let's pray together. We're going to head to Psalm 23 here in a moment. Let's pray. Father, we beg that uh, the same presence that has been here in our worship would now be in the Word. As your Holy Spirit illuminates these truths, Father, put angels at the door of my mouth. Guard myself against my flesh. Give me your Spirit's power, uh, not of timidity, and of, uh, but of power and of self-control. Um, I just want to speak your words today, Lord Jesus. I give the, all of them to you, every word. In your name I pray, amen. Hey, gathered here every Sunday are people that have overcome death. Gathered here are people that uh, have literally had an old life taken away and a new life that's come to them. Gathered here every Sunday are people who genuinely, authentically, and exclusively worship the living God and stake their claim upon the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and literally believe that that action is the, is the central focal point of all of human history, that our lives are trusting in this one thing, that Jesus Christ has come as God's sent Son into the world 
to die for our sins and to be raised out of the grave to prove that he has victory over even death so that we can live eternally with God our Father. And if you've experienced some of that, uh, the fullness of Christ here this morning, if you've experienced Christ as our guest here this morning, we want you to know that that's going to be the same God that's going to be here next Sunday when we do verse 6 of Psalm 23, when we finish the Live Well series in the month of August, and when we head into the book of Acts in the month of September. We would invite you back, but if you're not a Christ follower this morning, I sense the Holy Spirit telling me to just simply say to you here this morning, hey, come, come to Christ. You're going to see something here this morning in the Word of God that's going to humble the heart of anyone who resists God in any way. Christ follower or yet to be Christ follower here this morning. Now, what I could do to really shake us up is I could just get this, put this water bottle and pour it into a bowl and start inviting people up for foot washings. And boy, that would really strike us and that would really humble us. I'm not going to do that this morning. But even the exercise that we are going to go through this morning is going to be humbling. It's going to ask you a very direct two by four to the heart question. Will you receive all that God wants to offer to you at any time, in any place? There's only a handful of people that know what's going to happen here this morning. The rest of you are clueless, and I'm going to clue you in in about 20 minutes. But would you, would you, is your soul the kind of soul that's prepared to receive God's goodness, his provision, his care, and his security, no matter where you are in your journey in life? Whether you're in a valley or you're in an open meadow land, when, if you're in safe pasture, if you've been lying down, would you just say, God, keep it coming? Is that your soul here this morning? Last week we looked at Psalm 23, verse 4. that says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death or in the valley of deathly shadows, you are with me. Your rod, the rod of protection, the rod of discipline, that was thrown at animals that would come near or was used to strike the head of an animal that would come and try to attack one of the sheep. Your rod and your staff, that staff of gentle prodding, that staff of correction, that staff that, that gets keep the feet uh, going in exactly the safest possible path whatsoever. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And we learned last week that my obedience counts even in valleys. Even when I'm tired, even when I'm thirsty, even when I'm hungry, even when the journey has been longer today than most days, my obedience still counts. And have I been willing to submit wholeheartedly to the leadership of the shepherd in the valleys of my life? I've got to be willing to say, I'll go anywhere, I'll do anything, I'll be anything, I'll carry my load, I'll live any place that you want me to live, I'll do anything that you want me to do. And once... We were willing to say that God can reveal his will to us and that we will do it. We become true worshipers. True worshipers. Paul said it this way, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual, and sometimes it says reasonable act of worship, which is fitting for who you are. If you say you follow Jesus, then worship Jesus. And then you will know what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God, Romans 12, 1 and 2. My obedience counts in the valleys. And the other thing that we learned last week is that, that I've got to thank my shepherd for guiding me through 
valleys. Remember, that good shepherd was taking the sheep up the hillside and up into higher lands where water could run from the sides of the hills and from the sides of the mountains and create small little meadowlands inside those valleys where there still was grass. When everything else had dried up in the flatlands, in the pastures, they're down on flat land in the Piedmont of Israel. They went up into the hill country to provide for their sheep. And the shepherd would go well in advance and he would study the journey. He would make sure that he would take the safest route and the safest, safest path. He would know where all the enemies were when he would take them through that valley. And this was the time when the shepherd would walk closest with the sheep. Maybe literally step and step with each sheep. He would have to lift them sometimes up onto rocks to get them to continue along that path. Would I thank my shepherd for guiding me through a valley? There's good that God has for each one of us in guiding us through valleys. What kind of life do you want to live? You want to live safe? The only way to really be safe is to not play it safe with God. You want to be steadfast in your faith, rooted in wisdom that can only come from your heavenly father? Or are you content to just check out when things get hard? To find a quick fix or a speedy rescue. And the quick fix that will never bring growth, wisdom, or maturity. Rather, would you continue to be, as Paul says to the church of Ephesians, tossed to and fro and carried away with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting because you don't have a stable soul. Because you don't have a stable soul. When the psalmist said, your rod and your staff, they cover me. When he was talking about that rod, he was saying, look, God's holiness and God's protection is fierce as he shepherds us with the comforting rod. But he's also saying at the same time, his gentle care, his prodding, and his encouragement come from his staff. What we have in God is a good shepherd. The thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But I've come that you might have life and have it abundantly, says Jesus, John 10.10. And so now when we look at verse 5 in Psalm 23, we have to recognize that in Christ I find supernatural provision. What you have here as a theme, or maybe two themes, is the supernatural provision and care of God, as well as royal treatment. He's going to talk about a table being set before him. He's going to talk about his head being anointed with oil. And he's going to say that he's got a cup that never runs out, that literally overflows all of the time. And there's been a shift in speech since we got to verse 4. The pronoun is not you lead me uh, down paths of righteousness, but now the pronoun is, excuse me, it's not he leads me through paths of righteousness. Now the pronoun is you. It's personal. It's completely personal and relational as we relate to the shepherd. In the ancient Near East, there was a cultural standard of mandatory hospitality. Mandatory hospitality. Maybe I should try this out on a few of you and just come and knock on your door and say, hey, can I stay for a couple of nights? Um, hey, what's for dinner? And see if I get invited in because that would be culturally just weird, right? Somebody just knocking on your door and saying, hey, I'm hungry. Hey, I'm thirsty. Hey, I need a, a, a time to rest. Everybody's supposed to just go to their home. You're, everybody's supposed to just stay where 
they belong today. But in the culture of that day, because there was so much need for journey to go and acquire the things that you need, food, clothing, water, materials to live by, constantly people were having to go to different trading centers in different places. And if you were a worshiper of God, you had to journey to Jerusalem for at least one of the feasts, maybe multiple feasts, regardless of where you, whether you lived in Israel. So people were constantly on the move. They were on journeys. They were, they were, they were travelers. And you're on some kind of spiritual journey right now. You're on some ki- type of uh, tour of God right now in your life. But there, a host was responsible for the welfare of his guests. And the host would give safety, rest, and feeding. The host, it would be terribly offensive if the host did a poor job and got a reputation for showing bad hospitality. But the picture that we have here in Psalm 23, verse 5, is that of royal treatment. Look down at the passage where it says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Now see, there's a picture of a prepared table. And that table sounds a lot like that of a royal banquet. Who who gets to eat a feast in the presence of enemies? Well, I'll tell you who does. Kings get to do that. If kings are even out there on the field of war, they're out battling during the springtime or in the summertime on the field of war, these kings, they, they bring massive tents and chairs and all kinds of supplies for that king, whoever that king is, and they would still provide a king's table because that would send a signal to any other enemies that this person doesn't live like a peasant when he's out here fighting with his armies. He still gets the royal treatment. And so there's a picture of a prepared table, a royal banquet, banquet, and then there's a picture of an anointed head and a cup that runs over. And so you have a trifecta of king's treatment right here in this verse. And this is a bit of a summary of God as our host, shepherd. God secures, God satisfies, he feeds, he leads, he protects, he guides down correct paths. He brings rest, he brings recovery, he brings rededication to my soul. He protects me in valleys of dark, dark shadows. He's with me all of the time. I have the comfort of his rod and his staff. And when we get to verse 5, we just feel like it's just a summary. We've ascended so much in our worship of recognizing the truth about God and how good he is to us that now we just say, I feel like a king. I feel like a queen, an heir to the goodness of God. I went to um, Johnny and Friends at Maranatha. I got to speak in the tabernacle for the first time, and people had talked to me about that and about the family camps that they have there. And so I got to experience the tabernacle, and I got to to experience Jesus. But um, I I do, I hold one thing now against Maranatha. I do hold one thing against Maranatha. Um, Great facilities, oh, beachfront, the pool, oh, the horseback rides, watching the pictures, I just... Everything was just incredible. Even the snack shop, fantastic. Love that chocolate drizzled popcorn. But at Maranatha, at Maranatha, I mean, at least at this Johnny and Friends at Maranatha, they have bacon day. It's just bacon day. There's one day at breakfast that they serve bacon. Okay? Now, when I'm down at Flat Rock, North Carolina, it's bacon week. It's bacon week. Every time you enter the dining hall, 
there's a giant mound of bacon in one of the bins, in the heatable bins. And I always, always peel some of the top bacon off because all that bacon has been drizzling down to the lower bacon and then serving the lower bacon. So I get the lower bacon because that's, there's more bacon in that bacon. And so one year we actually had a bacon count, which was very foolish, incredibly foolish to have a bacon count. And you want to know what my count was. My count was 40. I literally ate 40 pieces of bacon in one week. But one of the short-term missionaries ate 87 pieces of bacon in one week. And why did he not eat 86 pieces of bacon? Because the 87th piece of bacon was there. It was there. He could take it. It was a full bin of bacon. It was not bacon day. It was bacon week. The entire time you were in the presence of Jesus at Johnny and Friends, you were in the presence of Jesus' bacon at Johnny and Friends. What a count. Hey, I want you to look at a picture up here. Will you put that first slide of the Mesa? There it is right there. Okay. Now, even in the United States, we have places in the United States that are called Mesas or Tablelands. And you see how up that hill there that the rocks they jut out and they literally create like a table a table of shade okay but also a table of protection and you can imagine if you're a wolf or a coyote and you're down here at the bottom of this hillside and you're and there a shepherd has taken sheep and put them up on one of those ridges there and tucked them back away in the shadows you can see everywhere you can see all of where the enemies are and you're ready, and there's rocks everywhere too, so if the enemy starts to approach, you can just throw a couple of rocks down there and go, watch it, Bubba, you're not getting up here, right? You can do that. But it says, it says there in the scripture, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And so it may very well be here that, in, that David has in mind, since he knows shepherding so well, that literally it could be an injured sheep that he can't put out in that little meadow that's between in the valley where some of the other sheep are meeting, but he literally takes one sheep who has been injured or one sheep that is unhealthy and places that sheep up into a safe crag or a safe table-like spot to protect that sheep from enemies and literally brings food and water to that sheep, that one sheep. It could mean just simply that the shepherd has found that table of feasting. They've traveled longer, remember, Dry season and wet season. Wet season, December's the peak of the wet season. July would be the peak of the dry season. It's probably the drier months that David is speaking about if he's talking about being in the hillside in the hill country that's there because that's where shepherds would be at that time of the year because everything down low is already dried out. Everything uh, has been baked by the heat of the summer. And so up there in those high plateaus, a shepherd could bring about protection and provision for his sheep. If that shepherd is intentional, if that shepherd has in mind the good of his sheep, a shepherd can do that. So a shepherd is bringing a, an incredible provision in, an in one of the most unlikely of places... In one of the most unlikely places, the shepherd is bringing provision all the while that he is protecting against enemies. Think about that. How outrageous, how scandalous is the grace of God that the Bible would say that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That the Bible would say that while we were dead in our transgressions, we already deserved the absolute worst. God gave us his absolute best in Jesus Christ. 
How outrageous that you and I, we feast on the table of God's goodness, even as he has taken care of our enemies, even the enemy of death. That we would, as the scripture teaches in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we would literally taunt death and say, death, where is your victory? Where is your sting? But thanks be to God who has given us the victory in Jesus Christ. Haven't you had desperate days? Haven't you had thirsty days? Haven't you had days where you would just eat from any table? You would. Don't you have sometimes a just-get-by attitude? A just-get-by lifestyle? Come on, I do. I can't believe some of the junk I will eat and drink when I'm just hungry and thirsty. When I'm desperate for anything, I might eat from any table. And yet this table is a wondrous king's table in the most unlikely of settings. And sometimes... We feel like God must not be watching my enemies because we feel like our enemies are getting closer and they're approaching. Sometimes we just wake up and we're determined to have a bad day by 9 o'clock in the morning because we just feel the presence of our enemies. But here the picture is that the shepherd can satisfy the sheep with rich blessings even though enemies are present. Isn't that our lives? Come on, accept it, Christian. Accept it, church, that we're going to have lives with enemies. We're going to have people that don't like us because we follow Jesus. The scripture says in this world, you're going to have trouble, but fear not, I've overcome this world. Jesus told his first followers, they're going to hate you because of me. I've been able to share the gospel twice this week, and both times the answer was no. So? So? So I have enemies. I have people that aren't friends of Jesus. And so they're not very friendly to me. But don't forget, he's preparing a feast of his grace for you. He's preparing a table in the presence of your enemies. God, you just you must not be watching my enemies. I mean, if you were, you'd be throwing rocks at them, God. Where's your rod right now, God? Listen, living by grace, living by grace is a state of receiving God's favor without having to have any reciprocal ability to return that favor at all. Do you understand that? Living by grace is accepting something that I don't deserve and being able to give back to my giver something that he deserves, what could I offer to God that is deserving? I mean, I can offer him my life, I can offer him my worship, but truly, living by grace is learning that I'm never going to be able to reciprocate. I'm just getting a feast at God's table, and I'm receiving that. Would you live your life that way? Would you decide by faith this morning that you're going to live by that kind of scandalous grace in a quid pro quo world where everybody says there is no such thing as a free lunch? Psalm 23 says there is. It comes from your good gift giver from heaven, James 1.17, the father of heavenly lights, God who only knows how to do good because that's his very nature. Live by grace. And receive the table that God offers to you. 
Because here's another truth. Not only do we get the royal treatment, but God's favor, it remains in the most doubtful of moments. In the most doubtful of moments. It says, in the presence of my enemies. Come on, we've had doubtful moments. We've had moments that we've had such doubts that we can't even see the table. The sheep does not say, the sheep, not me, the sheep does not say at this moment, this table's not for me. I'm not worthy of this table. The sheep doesn't say, as the prodigal son said in Luke chapter 15 when he returned to his father after a reckless lifestyle, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. The sheep says, dig in. The sheep says, hey, bring it on. The sheep welcomes this table. We've all had moments where we haven't felt worthy of the Lord's table. We've all had moments where we've been so distracted by our enemies that we have not lived by grace. And so we say moments because that's what enemy stuff is. Enemy stuff is moments. Enemy stuff is temporary. Do you know what the word for enemies there is in, in the Hebrew? It's probably, probably not going to be your favorite word. It means cramps. It means inward cramping. It means like a sheep who gets so disturbed by fear and by distraction and by enemies that literally its stomach starts to churn and turn on its insides. You prepare a table before me, exactly what your stomach needs to calm down, exactly what your soul needs to find nourishment and rest. Again, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. We say moments because that's all that they are. These light and momentary afflictions, says Peter. We groan, we travail, we cry out, Abba, Father, as Romans 8 tells us. But they are just moments because the scripture teaches us, Ephesians 1, that one day everything will be placed under the feet of Jesus Christ. Every enemy will be defeated. Crampings are going to stop. There's going to be peace. There's going to be a resolved new age. Hey, what's pulling at you? What's cramping you? Where's the tug? Where's the unease? What is it? I don't know what it is, but by God's spirit, I'm telling you here this morning that by God's grace, it could be answered by your shepherd. By God's grace, God could meet you at that point of your tugging and your cramping. We often say, without faith, without faith, we don't have the vision to see the royal banquet table. And only our doubts make our enemies bigger. We said last week, you know, the worst enemy of all is the one that we imagine, Charles Spurgeon. Or we say... In faithlessness, I'm only going to be comforted if my enemies are removed. God just starts smiting, and once I finally see you smite all of these enemies, then I'll be comforted. And that's not the condition of the Christian life. In fact, some of the most profound and potent moments in your life, Christian, are going to be when you're surrounded by enemies. How are you going to live? 
How are you going to live in those moments? I'll only enjoy God when my enemies are toast and my outcomes are completely certain. The picture here from the psalmist is not describing an outcome, but the certainty of victory and the certainty of crowning like a king. The psalmist is banking upon God's character and his presence in the midst of the crampings of all of his enemies. What godliness could you be demonstrating to your spouse today, to your children today, to your grandkids? Met your grandkids. Good to see you here today, grandkids. To your church today, to your community today, by enjoying the feast of Almighty God, even as life is hard. People would say, how does he do it? How is she doing that? I want faith like that. And what a picture of enjoying a royal feast, even as enemies approach. I think of so many characters in the movies that we love, and permit me to just share one from Return of the King, from the Lord of the Rings series. Aragorn surrounded by an encircling enemy at the gates of Mordor, right before their final battle is to take place. He rallies the courage of his men. The enemies are moving in all around, 360 degrees, encircled by enemies, and they're slowly marching forward. What a time for cramps. And he rallies the courage of his men. Men of Gondor, men of Roan, I see in your eyes the same fear that would take the heart of me. The day may come when the courage of men fails, when we forsake our friends and break all bonds of fellowship, but it is not this day. An hour of wolves and shattered shields when the age of man comes crashing down, but it is not this day. This day we fight by all that you would hold dear on this good earth. I bid you stand. And David, who was chased by a king, by King Saul, who was in, in, in treacherous battle with Philistines. David, who knows the treachery of spears flying past his head. He stands in faith. And he says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. David's confidence is in the Lord. Is your confidence in the Lord? His confidence is in the Lord. John Piper said this. He said, my self-sufficiency is actually mutiny against the sufficient grace of God. My self-sufficiency is actually mutiny against the sufficient grace of God. I met a family named the Bexfields at Johnny and Friends about, uh, I'd say, 15 years ago. They have a daughter. Her name is Marge. And uh, Mrs. Bexfield, she uh, tried to have children over and over and over again and was unsuccessful. They went nearly 10 years and were not able to have children and so, um, so people knew, and they were just beginning a process of adoption. They'd only been like a month or two in the process of trying to adopt, and they figured they would never be able to adopt a baby uh, because they were older. Uh, they were approaching 40 years of age, and it wasn't a good idea and stuff. And they got a call from, of all places, the hospital, the local hospital down in Traveler's Rest, South Carolina. And what had happened was is an adoptive couple had been lined up 
to take the baby of this woman who was placing her child up for adoption. So when the child uh, was born, doctors uh, noticed that there were multiple disabilities that the child was suffering from and uh, explained to the adoptive parents that uh, this child probably won't ever be able to talk. We don't know how long the child will live, maybe won't make it to a 16th birthday, may die in infancy. Um, you won't ever be able to communicate with this child. Um, you'll just basically be on a day and night vigil of helping keep this child alive. And so there, the parents, the adoptive parents had this right to decline, and so they declined to adopt the child. And so you're the doctors and you're the nurses and you're the adoption agency and you say, now what do we do? Well, <coughs> the Bexfields had placed upon their application, we'll take anyone. We'll take anyone. And so they called the Bexfields and they said, hey, look, uh, we have a baby here. And uh, the adoptive parents have declined to adopt her. Um, would you like to come down and see this baby? They flew to the hospital, went into the room, and said, we'll take her. We'll take her. This is our God. Who feels like the chief of sinners here this morning? Who feels farthest away from God here this morning? Who feels like God isn't even in the same time zone as you right now? And he wants to treat you like a king. Let me tell you something. Marge is 20 years old now. She still hasn't said a word, not in 20 years. I can't wait to meet her in heaven, to hear her sing and talk and run and dance and all of those things. But she's got great parents. You know what they do for her? Every single day, they prepare for her a feast. Every day. Marge has never gone and picked a fruit off of a tree. She's never sliced and diced any onions for a meal or anything like that. Every meal she's received have, has come from her good shepherds, her mother and her father, who send it right through her feeding tube, right through her belly button. David is confident in his Lord. What's he confident in? That God is good. That God is gracious. That's what he's confident in. Where's your confidence in the Lord right now? Or are you looking in your flesh at yourself and looking at a sense of unworthiness? Or in, in your stubbornness, unwilling to receive this kind of scandalous grace that comes from such a beautiful table. Can you say this morning, I'm a sheep that's confident in my shepherd. Can you take the sum total of all of the challenges in your life, all of the crampings, all of the enemies and say, Jesus, my shepherd, you've got this. Would you say it even now? Would you pray it right now in your heart? Give every single enemy back to God and take a seat at his table. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Second of all, it says you anoint my head with oil. Now, there are three reasons for anointing in the scripture. Three reasons. First of all, is being chosen for royalty. Kings in the Old Testament were anointed with oil upon their accession. And so we certainly have B 
been anointed as kings and queens ourselves. The gospel calls us joint heirs because we've been justified by God's grace, Titus 3, 7. Romans 8 says, if we're going to be called children of God, then heirs and joint heirs with Christ as well. You've been chosen for royalty. Second reason is for healing. For healing. The anointing of oil would be to heal in some way for an individual. And haven't we, by his stripes, been healed? Haven't we, by the blessed forgiveness, this, that healing oil of God on the scars of our guilt and shame, haven't we been healed by Jesus Christ? And thirdly this, to be set apart for service to God. And that's true of us as well. The scripture says that he's justified you and that he is now sanctifying you. He is setting you apart to holiness. Today, God wants in you a more holy hatred of evil and of sin and, and a greater desire for holiness and for good. God wants you to be set apart to himself. And the work of Christ is not just a rescue. It's a being set apart unto God. Ephesians 2.10, for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared in advance for us to do. Would you receive the anointing of God here this morning? Morning, chosen for royalty, healed, set apart by God. Here, take another look at a sheep's face here. Now, I picked, there's all kinds of species of sheep, but this one uh, looked like he was very curious and, and cute. And so I, I used this guy right here, okay? And as you can see, uh, he has not been fleeced recently. And so he's got all of his wool all around his body. And so the sheep flies and gnats and other um, uh, really just bad bugs that try to eat uh, the bacteria in the eyes and in the nose and stuff on a sheep, okay? They're there. In Israel and they do that to the sheep and so many times a sheep can be terribly distracted and be shaking its head all the time and be completely annoyed by these tiny little bugs these tiny little just demonic insects all right so what does the shepherd do the shepherd takes some linseed oil and anoints the head of the sheep then he rubs the oil across the bridge of the nose and the sides of the face, all where that sheep is exposed and doesn't have the protection of the fleece. So the sheep will calm itself and go on a healthy journey with the shepherd. If the sheep is distracted, of course, it might take a wrong step. It might go off the right path. What a good shepherd to anoint the sheep with oil. And maybe today's the day that you need to say, oh, God, anoint me again. This might be the stickiest point for us here this morning. Will you receive all of the favored identity that God offers to you? All of the favored care that God offers to you? It would mean that you cannot, cannot uh, any longer take pride in your own accomplishments or in your own ability to have gutted things out with your enemies. Your dung heap of self-sufficiency is going to have to be tossed aside of self-centrality is going to have to be set aside and you got to take your blessing. What a shame. The anointing of God, the child of a king, a welcome healing. Would you this morning even say, God, I'll take it because the last statement David says is, my cup overflows. 
Another great allusion back to John 10.10 of our good shepherd Jesus who gives us abundant life, a cup that overflows. Let me tell you something. God wants you to live from an always full cup. God wants me to live from, and you say, that's too much. That's too much grace. There's no t-shirt that has ever been made in, in, in Christianity that says, God gives too much grace. That's just, that's a ridiculous statement. We're supposed to live from an always full cup, an always full cup. And think about the context that, that exists here. This table is being prepared during the driest part of the season. If they're up there in the hill country, it's probably the summer months, which means that rivers have dried up, ponds have dried up below. Water is absolutely scarce. There was a day, there was a day in the ministry of Jesus where water was completely scarce. The driest day of the dry season in July because the Feast of Booths, the Feast of Tabernacles would always occur sometime around July, right at the peak of the dry season. And in John chapter 7, Jesus attends the Feast of Tabernacles. And at this feast, they do this elaborate thing with water, all right? And so they have to go go great lengths, di distant places. They got to go deep into their wells to gather water that, that is very, very scarce, okay? Remember, the four things that you're always thinking about as a sheep is journey, security, food, and water. Those, that's what you're thinking about. And so if you want water today and, and you're a sheep, you're going to go on a longer journey to get that sheep. If you're just a, a person in Israel in July, you're going to go on a longer journey. You're going to spend hours just getting access to water, during those months in the first century, or in David's time in the 10th century B.C. You, that, that's what's going to happen. But Jesus in the first century, he goes to this Feast of Tabernacles. It's the eighth day, the final and greatest day of the feast. And what's happening is the priests have gotten these golden pitchers, and they filled them up with water at the temple. And they've created this special al al altar up there. And they put all kinds of fruitful leaves and, and fruits upon this altar so that when they pour the water upon the altar. It's going to flow down this little canal of basins down toward the people and out toward the people as if the temple, God himself, the place where God dwells, out of him flow streams of life. On a day where water is absolutely scarce, they're incredibly liberal with their use of water. It's scandalous the way that they're using their water that day. And it's at that moment when the people are all quoting the Psalms and crying out, Savior, deliver us. Savior, deliver us. Savior, deliver us. That Jesus stands up at the feast. He gets everyone's attention. And he says this. Whoever, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow streams of living water. Wow. On a day where everyone's flesh would be thirsty, when the worshipers were asserting the thirst of their souls to be delivered from dead rule of religion, Jesus says, come to me and drink. Let me take it to our neighborhood, and then I'm going to challenge you to do something. Life is hard, but God is good. We can sit here for a couple of hours, and we can list all the bad that's going on in our lives, all the pain, and all the mess. In fact, I'm willing to listen. But the focus of the psalmist is upon the goodness of God. And we sometimes, we just don't know how to live from a full 
cup of faith. Deacons who are serving here this morning, would you come and help with that little uh, uh, thing that I need your help with? They're going to lift the, the blankets off of these two tables. There's a table down here, so you don't have to climb steps if you don't want to. There's a table over here, and underneath these tables, deacons are going to remove these blankets, and under these tables is just literally a feast. It's a feast of fruit, so we're safe, we're gluten-free um, uh, here this morning. And I'm going to challenge you to do something that you don't normally do in worship. I'm going to challenge you to get up out of your seat and in the posture of a soul that is willing to say, God, I will receive your wonderful blessing in my life. I'll take the feast at your table, even in the presence of my enemies. Anoint me, God. Treat me again like a king. I'm going to have a cup overflows faith. Lord God, this is a spiritual act that I'm asking you to do, an act of worship, but also an act of recognition. And here's the other thing that I would challenge you to do. Everybody doesn't have to come up. In fact, if, if you go up and somebody, if somebody can't come up or doesn't want to come up, you take a piece of fruit back to that person. But you're all welcome to come up and enjoy. While we, when we conclude with a couple of songs of worship, you're welcome to come up and enjoy. But don't, don't come up, don't come up like a scavenger. Or a raccoon that's stealing out of somebody's garbage cans. But come and just stand. Just come and stand. And just enjoy. Just stay at the table for a few moments. Long enough to thank God. Long enough to renew your faith. Long enough to enjoy the satisfaction of that goodness. Those are good. Life is hard. Life is hard. God is good. Will I arrive again at that critical question? Is God enough? I would challenge you. I would challenge you to walk in the truth of the scripture this morning. To open Psalm 23 verse 5 and insert yourself. And receive the good, good treatment of your shepherd.